Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Problem Gambling podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. And my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counsellor with the project and the co-author of the book, Tony 10. And today we're delighted uh, to have with us as our first guest on this new season, the brilliant Claire Dunnigan, also from Carlo. I'm surrounded by Carlo people today, uh, who is the CEO of a new organization called Thrive Recovery, which she's hopefully going to tell us all about today and is herself in recovery and may tell us a little bit about that today. Uh, Claire, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you, Barry. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit what about what Thrive Recovery is and what's going on there. Uh, Thrive. Right. So we are a new organization, as you said, and um, the idea for this came about basically when I was in my own recovery, I'd say I was about um, maybe six or eight months into my recovery and um, I was working for an agency as um, an education support worker and um, I'd had like I'd worked for them for five years on and off and um, I'd never say I had a great relationship with them but I I worked with them and I um, was placed in Carlo at the time with um, this girl who had she'd had a stroke and she was in a wheelchair so my job was you know I'd sit in the classes and I'd take notes and um, I'd help her with whatever she needed so I was doing that for four months before Christmas and then they locked down again and um, so she decided to go to a rehabilitation center so I was out of work for that time and um, didn't think much of it just thought I'll be back in a few months uh, doing my work and then I got a phone call one day and it was from the disability officer in uh, Carlo and she said I'm really sorry but I have some bad news and it was that this girl had had died the girl I was working with and um, obviously because I worked very closely with her it, it hit me hard um, but I think what hit me harder at the time was that the agency that I'd worked for for five years never rang me, never emailed me, never once got in contact with me to tell me this news. So my actual employer never even bothered contacting me. And I would see them on LinkedIn and I would see them putting up, you know, um, all these posts going, congratulate this person. They're one year working with us in the office and they never even bothered making a phone call to me uh, to tell me that the student I'd worked with died. So I think at that point I had been thinking about recovery in general and the things that I would like to do to help other people because I felt like I really had to make my own journey in recovery. And because at, at that time that employer had treated me so badly I just felt like, right, this is the time now. This is the time where you kind of make or break because you've been floating around doing different jobs, um, just keeping your head above water. And you need to find something that you really love and that make sure that you're never treated like that again as well. So you kind of make your own way. So, you know, I know I was about eight months into recovery at that point, but I couldn't get the journey of recovery out of my head. I I got into it and I um you know I was eating a lot better I was exercising and I was taking one day at a time as you do but I felt like very lonely um because I hadn't done a 12-step program I hadn't done residential and it, it is a very lonely journey and when you don't have a peer support network it can be very hard but um so I started thinking about what are the things that I wish I had right now and I wish I'd had the whole way through and I kept thinking if only there was you know a program that wasn't based in a 12-step um, because I hadn't related to that um, and you know if there was 
maybe some sort of platform or some sort of online group that I could access and have a peer support network built around that it would have helped me a lot you know I wouldn't have felt so alone the whole way through so I started thinking about how I was going to do this and um, I started doing a a diploma in coaching I don't know what possessed me at the time I thought maybe I should go into counseling then I thought god no I'd be no good at that (laughs) Um, so I thought well coaching that's a good idea and you'll get a qualification and it'll hopefully help you decide on what you want to do. And honestly, when I did it, I didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) but the more I got into it, the more it really opened my mind to a different way of thinking, a different level of my own recovery that had never been, I suppose, suggested to me, but it, it really cemented my own way of sustaining recovery if that makes sense so I learned new things I learned about values and belief systems I I never knew what you know um, self-limiting or enabling beliefs were before and and learning about that alone blew my mind so I thought this is fantastic you know so anyway I finished that and I I'd say I probably arsed around for a long time but I eventually I did figure out how to put that in a program with my own experience and I think what we what it what it looks like right now is a 12-week recovery program which is based in peer support and practical advice but is in no way treatment it's definitely holistic support um so that's why I suppose it's it's more an aftercare program but um I would say it doesn't have to be because sometimes you will have tried everything else and maybe this is the thing that works for you because what I found with a 12-step program was there are kind of rules that you have to follow and I didn't connect with that and what I've done here is created like there's 60 something pages in this in this program it's all very basic information on different topics but it's not in any way saying you have to follow this it's just here's the information here's some peer support along with that and you know you decide what's going to work for you and what doesn't so it's just about trying to provide people with practical you know tools and and help them connect with each other so that's I suppose the other element I have to go back to is that along with the program there is um, an online platform where you can have your own profile you can have chat facilities make your own groups access to further support groups afterwards um so the idea is that you're never alone and that you can decide how much or how little you want to use that but it's always there for you and I think my hope is that that way we can build a peer support network in Ireland that doesn't have to be a system that you you have to follow religiously you know because I I have built a peer support network but I really went out my way to do that. And the majority of the people I talk to probably daily are in the UK because that's where my work brings me right now. Um, So yeah, I I do some work with other organizations at the moment as well um, while we're setting this up and getting it going. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it will, you know, people will understand and connect with this program because it's, it's it's about them you know what I mean it's it's giving them hopefully all the tools that they need and and people they can connect with and they decide how to use that going forward and you mentioned that this was the 12-step approach there which look not everybody relates to and myself and Tony did a few episodes on it where we tried to unpack some of the stuff and obviously millions of people around the world do relate right so but at the same time it's not for everybody and there's no one approach that is for everybody but i suppose if you're differentiating it from the 12-step approach what specifically would differentiate it from that several things um what i always say is that this program is about thriving not just surviving and My experience of GA, I would never say a bad word against GA because I know that it has worked for so many people. I think it's a fantastic program if it works for you. But 
and a lot of women will say that they don't like it because it's male dominated and there's all these kind of ideas I didn't find that I went in and everyone was fantastic um what what I would say was I didn't relate to the the book the the steps um and I also didn't feel like the people there were really thriving in their recoveries um it, it felt very solemn maybe it was just the meetings I was going to I don't know um but everyone was really nice um they felt that because I was the only woman in the room that I should uh maybe have a woman to talk to so they put me in contact with a lady don't know where she was living but anyway I I gave her a call and um I would just say like she wasn't living an inspiring life in recovery she seemed very down and and lonely and you know I suppose she reiterated the fact that at least she was in recovery but for me it just I didn't see the the upside to being in recovery after I spoke with her and I, I feel terrible saying that but it just didn't inspire me the way that I needed to be inspired at that time um you know and and it gets to that point where like I remember going to my GP and um you know I broke down crying in in the in the surgery I just really was so desperate for help and she really did empathize with me and she was lovely. Um, but her answer was giving me antidepressants. And I knew at the time that wasn't what I needed. But I, I went on myself, um, you know, and I, I did a few things over the years uh, trying to get help. But there is this problem with when you try the tried and tested methods that work for everyone else and they don't work for you. And then you feel like, you're a bigger failure because not only have you got this awful addiction that you you know takes over your your life and your mind um but you also can't even get better (laughs) and it's 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 a truly horrible place to be and people don't people don't realize it and I never would have realized it before experiencing it but one thing I would say is it really isn't um it really isn't prejudice. It, it can hit anyone, and I certainly never expected it to hit me. So. Yeah, and that is a horrible feeling. I think that yeah, you know, that all yeah, you know, the idea that you're failing at controlling your relationship with the thing, if it's gambling or alcohol or whatever the thing, the addictive thing might be, and then to go for some sort of treatment or support and feel like you're also failing at that when in reality it's just not the correct approach for you as an individual it doesn't resonate with you as an individual many 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 people find themselves in that position and that's why it's so important that there are you know that there's an option b or an option c or an option d or a combination of all the different options so that the individuals get the support that re- does resonate with them and this was the other point important point that i think you're making there is that there's much, much more to being in recovery than just abstaining from the thing. Right? If it's gambling, obviously we talk about gambling here, but if it's alcohol, you know, it, with alcohol, let's say within AA meetings, there's the idea of the dry drunk. So you're abstaining from alcohol, but you're miserable, right? You're hating every minute of it, right? But technically you're in recovery because you no longer drink alcohol, right? And there isn't a word for that in, in gambling recovery, but I think that the mindset it still exists for some people where okay they're abstaining but they're not really in recovery I, like what i would kind of pitch to people is that ideally your life in recovery should be much more enjoyable than your life in addiction if it's not there's a problem there somewhere you know yeah definitely. tony thoughts jump in there <laughs> yeah i suppose when claire was speaking i was the, the the image was coming into my mind was kind of treading water a lot of times in GA maybe or AA it's kind of people are just existing or treading water in recovery there's very little um, scope and I think sometimes there's very little scope in the language used in 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 the fellowships and I don't I'm not again I'd be very much of your mindset that it's something that works for millions and it has worked it's brilliant it definitely held me at the start and really helped me in my early recovery um I think it helped me more so because I didn't feel alone at the time and I felt the connection with the people rather than the process. I felt I got more out of 
the cup of coffee afterwards than I did uh, out of the meetings per se. But I think it definitely recovery has to be more <clears throat> more than just not gambling. It has to be learn how to enjoy life again, how to live, how to get kind of happiness out of small things again, which gambling can totally take away or any addiction can take away. And that does take sometimes a different approach. And that's why it is so, so important to have people develop different types of programs because I I do, I really loved your point around, you know, I, I felt like I was failing at recovery. And I think that must be totally kind of just soul destroying when you feel like you're failing at the one thing that you feel should be getting you out of one thing that has been dominating your life for so long. Um, what I what I felt going through through my own journey of G is that yeah it really worked for me at the start but then I felt stagnant in it and mm-hmm. I you know I I it's something I don't use anymore as part of my recovery but I know it's there if I need to go back into it. Um, I remember I was at a meeting a while ago, um, probably my my one meeting in, in for a while, and I remember I think the start. Now I know why I don't come to these meetings anymore because it just felt the same conversation was there years after I'd heard but then by the time I was leaving the meeting I was kind of going I got something from it so it, I think it does work in, in that sense for lots of people it on would I have would I do I use this part of my recovery I don't but I use I think I use the ethos of it or the elements of it in my recovery I my, that ability to have or show vulnerability and, and be vulnerable the ability to um, speak openly and honestly around recovery the ability to accept it's something I can never do again um, and I think if you can mold that into a different type of program that's more accessible to people or more, I would maybe I shouldn't use the word more modern. Um, I think that can only be a good thing. So it's good that there's a lot of these programs popping up because it is like the saying, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. It's kind of if one approach doesn't work, there has to be another approach. And for so long, if you go to GP, it is antidepressants or there's your local GA meeting or there is a local addiction counsellor. It has to be something a little bit different as well. And that's why I love the fact that you've incorporated your own experience of your uh, coaching skills into a recovery program. And even just kind of going down through the different weeks, which I'm sure you'll talk about, it really will help someone in area recovery, or but also it can help someone in to maintain that recovery. I think that's a very important aspect of it. Yeah, because I think... It's funny, one thing you said there about GA, um, the the I, I accept that I can never gamble again. I think that that's something I really struggled with for a very long time. And maybe, maybe in, on one level, I just completely denied that from GA and it turned me off as well um, because you're, you're so delusional. You know, I was I was only thinking about this um, this morning, actually about how you can be so split personality when you're in um, when you're in addiction. Like I had complete self-loathing for myself, constant anxiety, depression, um, and and I just felt awful the whole time I was in recovery. And yet I was I had these complete delusions of grandeur at the same time because I would go and I would gamble every single day every penny I had and even when I was down to my last euro for some reason I really believe that last euro was going to turn into a hundred and then turn into a thousand and it's it's a very very strange place to be when you're when you're in addiction and I mean for me that was a nine-year addiction so it it stole my 20s I guess is how I'd put it and um you know there is there's um it's just I, I look back now and I think about all the times that it took away from me you know um I I if I look back to that whole nine-year period and I think about the amount of like family occasions and and you know it, what should have been good moments in my life that didn't exist because I was there in body but not in mind um, and my mind was always elsewhere, just waiting to get to the next bookies or waiting to log on to my laptop or whatever it was. It's it's hard to think about now how, how I lived that way for so long, but there's this adrenaline going on while you're 
while you're in it and and because you feel like I I have to win back all the money I've lost I have to pay this I have to do this it keeps you going but eventually it exhausts you to a point where you you can't function anymore um I I totally went off tangent there I apologize but it's just you made me think about that um and it's so yeah so sorry my point was that recovery it's not just the day you stop you know and I think that that really was something I didn't realize either um you know you think if you stop that that's it but when I stopped and the day I stopped I the the whole next day was counting the hours that I haven't gambled you know and then that whole week was counting the days and I'd say I lived like that for the first three months counting each single day and then uh, you know once they got to a week I'd say well you've gone a week right so you've gone a week without gambling you can go another week you can do this you know and it kept going like that I'd say uh, uh, after three months I stopped doing it that way and I kind of just started trying to to live but it's like you it's like learning to walk again (laughs) you you've been absent from the world you've you've totally ignored everything around you you've lived in this complete false reality for almost a decade and then you have to learn how to live in in the real world and and you know actually pay your bills and actually structure your life in a way that you're going to move forward because you've been stagnant for so long um and I think that, you know, I'm I'm over two years into my recovery now and I feel fantastic being there, but it's been such a journey. And every day there is, you have to maintain that recovery. And I would be lying if I said that, you know, the days when I'm broke that I don't think about gambling is probably the first thing that comes into my head. But I, I've learned the skills now that I can, I can talk to myself and rationalize it myself, which is something I could never do in recover or, or in addiction. I can say, no, no, that's not the right way to do this. But it, it is the first thing that, that pops into my mind out of habit. Um, and luckily I don't, I don't do that, but it's like, that's over two years down the line. And that's still my first reaction to, Oh shit, you know, I need money. It's, it's normalized to me and um I'm grateful that I don't go there but I'm just saying that you don't really realize when you're starting out how hard it is to to keep in that recovery space you know and and keep your mind on track yeah and I think it's great for people listening to know that because people often ask you know we're obviously working with people who kind of the first days and weeks and into maybe a few months for people and they're asking you know will I ever stop having these thoughts about gambling and <laughs> maybe not maybe not but have it like you have sixty thousand thoughts a day like we don't act on all of them or else it'd be just total chaos and anarchy and a bloodbath and whatever else right so we we have the capacity to have an automatic thought pop into our head and over time to learn the skills to challenge that thought and say no no i'm not gonna do that that's a bad idea been there before worn the t-shirt i know what the consequences of that are going to be and have a little chat with ourselves and, and challenge it with practice over time like but would you say it gets easier over time to have that chat with yourself oh definitely yeah i don't want to scare people and say that you know you're always going to be thinking about gambling that's not true i i even though I work in this space I actually rarely think about gambling myself um it's definitely easier I think I think the first three months were hard um because not just because it's hard battling your your demons I suppose but because you've lost the trust of the people around you um that's the hardest part and you have to regain that trust and you have to rebuild it and I I struggled with that because you do you do have this obnoxiousness let's be honest when you're when you're in addiction and you're you're driving everyone away and even when they're telling you you have a problem you you ignore them or you don't want to talk to them so there's still an element of that I I felt in in early recovery where you know if anyone wanted to ask me a question or challenge me I wasn't able for it but again, that just builds because I I really made such an effort to prove to people around me 
that I had changed and that I was changing. And I think what what really helped me do that was that I knew myself for the first time in a decade, I wasn't lying, you know, because I lied all the time to cover my tracks and not because of that's who I am, but because that's what the addiction does to you. Um, I'm actually quite an honest person, I would say, but but in that headspace, I wasn't, I wasn't able to be. It, it completely takes over your mind. It's like, it's like battling a demon every day and every day that demon wins. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking. But like I say, I think the determination to just not hurt the people around me anymore, you know, uh, that, that drove me through. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. Tony, you wanted to come in there. I was going to just, when you were talking there, um, like Anthony DeMello will say, like, when you fight something, you give it strength. And that's the kind of surrendering and that's the acceptance bit of the fellowship meetings is the surrendering um, the outcome that you can never do this again. I think once you once you do that, I think it's it's not in your mind as much. And I think I think the gambling is always there. It's a bit like grief. It's always there, but I think we grow around it. Um, it's not that the grief minimizes or the gambling minimizes over years. I think we grow as a person around, so it becomes a smaller part. And that growth you're talking about is part of what you do in your program. It's like you help people to grow around or grow in recovery. Um, so that the addiction, I think, is always there. and It's always the ability to that go to place when you have a bad day or when you have an unexpected bill come in or when that bloody engine management light comes on your car again after you're only spending the phone fortune on getting it fixed <laughs> that it's that kind of um it's that initial kind of thing oh, i have to go um you know i have to go um and gamble here to fix this or to escape from this mm-hmm. i will always talk about my smoking experience like you know the first couple of weeks after i get cigarettes it's kind of like you're you're counting the days you haven't had one or you're you're kind of um you're you're wondering like will i ever not feel the need to have one with a cup of coffee and then suddenly as you said after a couple of months you wake up and kind of went she's had a cup of coffee this morning I didn't think about the cigarette and I think it's only and then and then when I, I always talk about the story when I was back in prison when I was surrounded by it again smoking like you know there was nothing else to do in there you know you're working in the kitchens and every tea break everyone smoked bar you and you're seeing people actually rolling the cigarettes or you're seeing them you know you're hearing the, the sound of the tobacco when it when it gets when it gets when it's lit and you hear and you smell it and you suddenly it becomes part of your life again. I remember sitting in the cell and I had the tobacco. I didn't have a lighter. And it was that New Year's Eve. I was bored. I was there from six o'clock, banged out in the cell. You know, 12 o'clock, you were looking at the telly and I had an overwhelming urge to um, to roll a cigarette and have a, have one. And if I if I had a lighter that night, I could have given into it. But I didn't. I I, I kind of went through the urge and... That's a little bit like gambling. If you have taken away the means to do it, and that's why the control measures that myself and Barry talk about are so, so important. In that moment when you're not quite at your 100%, you can get through it. And I think when you grow around your addiction or grow in recovery or do that person development work in recovery, the the thoughts will never leave. And as Barry said, if you act on every thought, it would be carnage. But the thoughts never leave. But if we can recognize those triggers and recognize those thoughts and those irrational beliefs and gambling fallacies that Barry touched on earlier on, if we, if we can grow around those, recover recovery is possible. And I loved Richie Sadler in his book, Naomi's book, Recovering, because that's what it is. It's not being stagnant in recovery. It's about learning how to tweak it. I'm a long-time recovery. I constantly tweak in recovery, as you are a long-time recovery now, and you are constantly tweaking as well that you have to tweak it as you go along because otherwise we become just stagnant and that's the word that just, just keeps popping into my head today that's stagnant in recovery and if that happens then it's the what the fuck am I doing this for what's the point and then that's when the old thoughts of oh sure it's only a tenor oh, sure it's a bit more excitement I deserve it all those thoughts that can come back in our head so it was just when you were speaking there I just I it was I, and I have a lovely um, picture that I send clients sometimes it's a, like a ball in a small jar it's a, and it's the jar the ball is just barely fits in the jar and it describes grief as the jar gets bigger and the grief is still the same size but the jar gets bigger so it's something I use a lot as a visual for how we grow around different things in our lives 
I like that actually. I'm I'm a big fan of um like sayings and stuff and there's two that I there's two that I use a lot talking to myself and talking to other people. One of them I feel like I got from you, Tony, so correct me if I'm wrong. But um I it's it's you know, don't give up everything for one thing when you can give up one thing for everything. Maybe it wasn't you then. I don't know. I don't know where I got that, but it really has stuck with me the whole time, you know, because I think it's very, very powerful because you very easily can lose everything around you because of this one thing. And realizing that and acknowledging it does help the recovery process as well. Um, another one is, do you know that Chinese proverb? And it's like the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is now. So I tried and failed a thousand times you know, before I, before I got there. Um, and I, I'm there as in I'm here, but I have to keep staying here. And I know that every day as well. And just something else you were saying about growing around your recovery. When I, when I was getting into recovery and I know I had a lot of chats with you at the time, I had this belief that I needed to be taken away. I had to go to residential and there was no cure for me if if someone didn't literally take me away and lock me up. And I was convinced for a very long time that was the only way I was going to get better. Um, but because I had small kids, I, I didn't have that option. And I think in one way, that was another reinforcement of great. Now it's probably the only thing that's going to help me, I can't do. Um, but what I would say now is that it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me, not having to go to residential because I had to learn to, I had to learn to, to get into recovery and sustain recovery in my own environment. And I feel like I'm a lot stronger for that because if I had been taken away, stop gambling for 12 weeks or 20 weeks, whatever it is, and had to come back into this environment um, that I'd left as a bomb site, I don't think I could have done that. You know, um, it's it's little by little, it's day by day. And that's when you go back to GA, um, they have some great phrases. They have some, you know, the one day at a time. That's that's universal. Doesn't matter what program you're you're following. And the Serenity Prayer is another one that, I mean, everyone uses. I think um, so. So a lot of things really are you know, universal. It's just how you, how you present them and how you connect with them. Um, and there's the other saying, I suppose, is, you know, Johan Harry's, I use it all the time as well, about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. There is nothing truer in my opinion. And I, I go back to that with the program because what I really want is, is to see this grow as a network and, you know, people to connect because I had to, <laughs> I ended up I, I'm going to say basically stalking people on the internet um trying to get in contact with other people who were uh in in recovery and it always led me to the UK because in the UK they were doing all this stuff that wasn't going on here and I was fascinated but I made great connections through it and I, I still still have those connections and it helped me very quickly build a peer support network um and, and it was nice to feel accepted into that network. But but I, it was a pity that I didn't really have that here because I, I didn't go to the one peer support program there was. Um, so I, I hope that we can, I hope that we can create that here. And I know down the line, these things will, will progress. It's just, we're very behind. And it's, it's really sad um, to see how, how much has been developed over there and and how little we've done here and not through any fault, but the fact that we don't have the resources to do it. Don't start myself and Barry on a rant. <laughs> well, maybe do a short rant because, yeah, I think it was, oh God, at the Hazelden Clinic, but I think it might've been back in the 70s. They're you know, trying to develop the Minnesota model. They'd already developed it, but they were trying to pilot it in Ireland. And they came out and they did a pilot of it in Ireland. It's it's similar to the 12-step approach. 
But they kind of when they came back to Hazelden and they did their report on Ireland, they said that it would never work here because we have a post-colonial mindset and we're too secretive. <laughs> I think there's probably still a, an element of truth in that. Where if you, again, myself and Tony, you know, even if you look at the guest list on this podcast, what percentage of them are from the UK? Uh, now we have plenty of people in recovery in Ireland, but you know who may not be open about it may not speak openly about it who certainly may not wish to come on a podcast and talk about it uh and i think there is that still that kind of shadow of, of secrecy and shame and stigma not just around gambling addiction but about around many many things in this country which presents a challenge i think it's improving it's probably improved since the, the hazelden crowd were over here somewhat people are talking more about say their mental health and other things that might be going on for them in their lives but i mean in terms of let's say in your own program like are you looking for irish participants to to join your program at the moment yeah absolutely and of course it is a pilot right now you know and i've had to move the start date back to november i had hoped for october but it's looking more like november now which is fine but what we're hoping to do is pilot um pilot at least three groups um over the next six months and do it with about six service users per, per group because i do feel like having a group is is better that's not to say that if someone came and wanted one-to-one you know support that would be available to them as well but i think it's nice because I, you had Lisa Walker on here last season and Lisa's a very, very good friend of mine. And she, I'm sure she spoke about the new beginnings program, which is um, a peer support program for women uh, through Betnamora in the UK and it's Lisa's baby. So that was, that started, I think it was May. We, we started that and she asked me to be a facilitator on it. And because I did that, they were able to open it to Ireland for, um, for uh signposting and, and stuff like that which was great and and there was i'd say like half the women on it were irish and um, they were delighted with this and and happy to have this support um but one thing we kind of realized through that uh program was that uh that there was 10 service users per group and um there was two or three of us facilitating it seemed to work best when there was only maybe five or six people and we had a two hour slot there. Um, and it just felt like that was enough time. It was enough people that everyone got their chance to talk and to go through the topic and share um, with, with, you know, it just, it just worked. It worked with that number of people. And that's why I say six, because I feel like I've, learned from that and I think any more might complicate things and then other people don't get the chance to come in um so trying to keep it intimate enough that you know, everyone can play their part and if some people need more support than others then that's fair enough because one thing I will say is I think everyone has a mutual respect for each other in in recovery and maybe that's not always the case but I've certainly found it to be to be a very open and safe and welcoming space once you actually enter it and embrace it and everyone at the end of the day just wants to get better and they just want their lives to improve and if there's someone there who's willing to help you do that why wouldn't you want to be a part of that yeah i'm sold <laughs> <laughs> so how can if somebody's listening to this like most of our not all but most of our listeners are in ireland um how would they contact you to find out more about getting participating in the group so at the moment i'm uh, i'm doing content for for a website so i haven't gone live with that at the moment because i'm a bit of an ocd person and i want it to be really good <laughs> i was like don't do it yourself claire <laughs> but um yeah look on on twitter thrive recovery on linkedin on instagram or even you know find me through any of those and message me um definitely happy to chat to anyone interested in the program like i say we probably won't be starting until november but we you know contact me anytime and and i'm happy to 
to uh, talk through it. And yeah, we'd be delighted to get more people on board. Brilliant. Um, now, before we finish up, you mentioned something at the start about self-limiting beliefs and enabling beliefs. You better unpack those a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show myself off for the fraud that I am now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I started, when I started the course, um, this was all very new to me. And we had an option for... Um, for mentoring I guess with the professionals who are doing the course um so I thought right okay I'm gonna do this because I want to see how she does it and you know she's the master and I want to be part of that so I had this master coaching session with the lecturer and um she she was like asking me what my agenda was what what did I want to work on today that kind of stuff and I had I had generic stuff to be honest that I was presenting to her and then she just kind of cut into talking to me over and over again about my values and I say well my values are this 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 and she go right but what else but what else you know and she kept going she kept going and I she kind of made me think about things that I never would have thought about and I'm writing this list and it's suddenly a page of stuff that never even entered my head before um so that we did all that and then we went into what I was talking about, which was, you know, a situation where I wanted to do something, but I was afraid of what other people would think if I did this, which is a normal thing. You know, we all experience that. Um, and she kept questioning me on why I was afraid to do this. And I kept saying like that I just don't want you know, people to think this of me or, or to think that of me. And she kind of reinforced through through just keep questioning me and questioning me and questioning me. She she made me realize something, which was that I was making a life decision based on what someone else thought someone else was going to think of them because of what I did. <laughs> right. So um, I think that that was something I'd never realized before. Like I realized it on some level. So this self-limiting belief for me was that, you know, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that because of this reason or that reason. And then the enabling belief for me was, but why can't I do it? What, like what stopped me from doing it? Why would I make a life decision based on someone else's opinion? Um, it just, it, it was a completely different mindset for me. And I just, like I say, it really blew my mind. And now I would use that example talking to people. And like I say, it sounds crazy to think that you would decide something based on not even what the person you know thinks, but what they think someone else will think of them. <laughs> crazy, right? But unless someone reinforces that, sometimes you're never going to see that. It's called Twitter. and if any of my clients are listening to it they'll probably be sick of me talking about this but I read a very interesting book recently called 4,000 Hours uh, Time Management for Mortals and to talk about like 4,000 hours is the amount of time you have if you live to 80 or sorry 4,000 weeks beg your pardon 4,000 weeks <laughs> of time management for, for mortals and it's the amount of time we have if we live to 80. So I've I've kind of made it up. I've probably about 1,140 weeks left if I live to 80. And he, lo- he used the analogy, which I've heard of before, of the, the teacher who brings in the rocks, the pebbles, and the sand, the students, and asks them to fit them all into the jar. And the students put the sand and the pebbles in, and they can't fit the rocks in. And he uses the analogy of, it's a little bit like values, or a little bit like, and you could use it for values, you can use it for things that are important in life. Like he said, like, what are the really important things in your life? Because he talks about how much time we give to things that aren't important. And, you know, like if I look at things that are important um, in life, it's like your, you know, relationships, family, my daughter, kind of connecting with people, um, music, football, um, reading. Now, work isn't even in the top seven. Sorry, Barry. But work isn't even in the top seven. But they would be kind of rocks that um, generally... I should be putting into the jar first. And then the pebbles are the kind of work and kind of stuff like that. That's stuff that are important, but 
stuff that at times maybe I give too much of my time and effort. And Barry again would always be on to me to pull back from different things because at times I tend to get get um OCD as well and or I wouldn't know if OCD is the right way I've described it, but I tend to kind of can't slow down at times. And um what I tended to try to over the last couple of weeks, and again, when you said values, you could do it with values. Well, what are my values that are really, really important? And what are the things that are not so important? So if you focus the majority of your time on stuff that's really important, you tend to get a life that's a little bit more fulfilled and a little bit more enriched. And the sand in my life is likes of social media, likes of Twitter, the stuff that doesn't really give a shite at the end of the day, but stuff that we think, oh, what's he going to think? What's she going to think? Um, and then you're listening to people's opinions and then suddenly it, it kind of gets in on your thinking for a day and makes you become negative thinking around a certain idea or a certain thing and you find yourself angry at the world like I watched a thing on Twitter there a couple weeks ago where there was a goal disallowed for um, oh who was it against it was against Man City and it was a similar type of goal at Liverpool that disallowed in the Champions or was allowed against Liverpool in the Champions League final and I was scrolling through this and I was getting angry of the, the whole injustice of the whole thing and then I kind of going at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And I think I, that's what I've tried to do, I suppose, is to is to kind of look at what's really important and put those stuff first in my in my very little remaining weeks of my life. Uh, I don't want to sound morbid around it, but it's, it gets you to think around the time we put into stuff that's not really important. And if you look at that in a value-based system as well, I think you could, it's just something there as well. Um, and then, yeah, we can put the pebbles in on top and we can put the sand in on top. Like, there's, there's, there's space where obviously work is a big, important part of a lot of our lives. But the likes of the sand, like the social media or other people's opinion of you or whatever else might be there. I sprinkle a little bit of that on top. But I've and before that would have been everything, especially in early recovery. What do people think? What are people thinking about me? What's I, I have to connect with everyone or I have to be this or I have to be that. And then work, obviously, then because it was part of my identity of how, how I saw myself within the world because it would have been one thing that was taken from me in recovery, that sense of identity from the job, having lost the job, being a manager. It's It was a big part of trying to get back to a certain level of, well, if I'm a brilliant counsellor, then I've made it in life or if I'm, if I'm this or if I'm that. And over time, I suppose, as I've grown in recovery, it's coming back to the stuff that's important, like you said, like your family. And, and I know you talked about your, your, your two children as well, a lot of time when we were chatting, they're front and centre now as well. Um, but at times we have to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, what we want to give our all our, or the majority of our time to. And I think for so many people nowadays, it's to the likes of Facebook, to the likes of TikTok, to the likes of whatever else. I see my own daughter as well, consumed by it. And it's that kind of trying to get that balance back, but even more so tipping the balance into areas of our lives that we really want to or that is really important to us or that we really want to spend more time doing. So that's what kind of came up for me when you were speaking about the value system as well. Yeah, yeah and I probably didn't sorry, explain Kim. that as best I can because um, I, it's probably more about mindset what I was talking about. But I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, you look at it and it's like self-limiting is the doubting yourself and enabling is the actually starting to believe in yourself and believe that you're capable because what is stopping you? It's really about questioning yourself all the time and just reasoning with yourself and saying, well, what is actually stopping me from doing this? And that was the conversation I never had with myself. I would just cut myself down and say, right, you're not able to do that. You can't achieve this because you um, you don't you've never done it before. But I think what they drilled into us in the coaching was where is the evidence that you can't do this? And you look back and you go, well, there is no evidence that I can't do this. So then you go, well, maybe I can. And it's so simple. It's so simple. And yet it changed everything for me. I mean, you know, starting a company, that's madness to me. Do you think that like 10 years ago, I could have ever imagined that? No, but I just didn't let fear stop me this time because, because why would I? <laughs> um, it's just, it's a really nice place to be in recovery. And that is my point, I suppose going forward is that I want to see everyone do that because you need to feel inspired and there are a lot of inspirational stories out there which I would be sharing with people through the program as well um, because I think that they really need to know there is a life after recovery and it, it it is better if you let it be better 
suppose CBT, you're after striving cognitive behavior. <laughs> <laughs> it's also I think, a bit on that. And I know Barry's going to come in to finish up, but the bit on that is like how we think impacts how we feel. And that's the kind of basis of CBT. So if you can get, uh, it's like uh, Christine Badesky, mind over mood. If we can change how we think in certain situations, it can have an impact on our feelings and emotions, which can lead us into a life that's a lot better. And we don't have to escape into mind-numbing, gambling or alcohol or addiction to escape from it. Yeah. Yeah, and so many of our beliefs don't have any evidence to support them. They are irrational, not just in inactive addiction with gambling or any other addiction. It goes far, far beyond that. So, you know, within that cognitive behavioral therapy model, you know, the core beliefs, uh, the common ones being, you know, I'm not worthy or I'm less than... And then they drive the the kind of rules and assumptions that we have about the world and they drive the sorts of automatic thoughts that we have, that cognitive model. We might have a look at that in, in a bit more detail someday. But one of the things, because I suppose just so we're not leaving our listener or listeners confused about the word enabling, because in America, quite often the word enabling is interchangeable with empowering. And I would see what you're talking about as empowering yourself to face the fear and do it anyway and kind of rather because there can be confusion around the way we use enabling sometimes in in the addiction world as well where let's say family members can engage in enabling behaviors that's not empowering that's disempowering where you know you're bailing out the person with the gambling problem or you're facilitating the addiction in some way do you know what i mean yeah absolutely that's actually a very good point because i'm going by what i've learned through a diploma and and uh, everything else and that's just something that to me I didn't even know existed so the word enabling to me makes sense but yeah you've made a very good point there empowering probably is more appropriate and maybe I should change that in my program <laughs> no, not necessarily because it, it does have both meanings but I'm just in case because we probably have touched on enabling behaviors from a, the negative definition of the word previously so just we're not confusing anybody it can mean both things um yeah oh god there was something else in there but of course i should be taking notes here it's gone out of my head well look i mean that that the mindset side of things i think is so important because we i've seen it let's say back before i kind of started specializing more on the gambling side of things around anxiety like the amount of people who go into the shop and immediately when they go into the shop or the supermarket post office whatever they're thinking oh, what are all the people in here thinking about me? They're thinking oh, my hair is a mess or, you know, why did I wear these shoes today? Or my bum looks big in this or whatever the thing is that, yeah, that I'm, maybe they can see my bald spot or whatever the thing is that people are thinking about us. In reality, everybody else in the room is just as self-obsessed as you are. <laughs> they're, they're up in their own heads going, oh, what's everybody thinking about me? Right. Nobody else in the world is nearly as interested in you as you are. Right. That's that's just the nature of being a neurotic human being walking around the place, right? And that's one of the things that holds us back is this belief that because we see ourselves sort of as the center of the universe, that people are constantly thinking all these things about us. Social media doesn't help because that reinforces the, the fallacy or the delusion that, you know, people are thinking about us and they're commenting on our comments and they're commenting on our pictures and that they actually have some sort of an interest in our lives when in reality they're much more wrapped up in their own stuff right? but that holds us back a lot you know holds us back from doing a lot of the things that we really want to do in our lives like so i think just before we finish up i know we've gone slightly over the time here but could you just briefly outline what the different elements of the of the program are yeah so like it's it's very basic tools and information that are created by lived experience, but there's also coaching tools thrown in there. So um, the first step would be, you know, using your, your skills to assess where you're at right now. And that's going to look different for everyone where you're coming into this recovery program. But you'd look at that you assess that and you kind of spend the first week on that. And then, yeah, there's, there's mindset. Um, self-care and boundaries is another one. And I think it's very important to highlight because my self-care went out the window. Like I could have left the house in a paper bag, never would have bothered me. Um, 
I could have not showered for a week. I really did not care because all I thought about all the time was gambling. So to be honest, I probably would have preferred going around not having showered and people wouldn't come near me. <laughs> that's probably, you know, the thing. That's how I felt at the time. Um, looking at stress and sleep and how you'd manage that and financial well-being, of course, although I wouldn't say I'm an expert on that, but <laughs> we, we definitely cover it. Um, basics of life, your nutrition, your lifestyle, active lifestyle, um, building a support network and goal planning and you know moving forward and then we'd have a lot of content uh with regard to other people's stories or you know things that would hopefully inspire but also resources that would help you if you need a different kind of um to to go in a different direction or access different types of supports like we'll try and provide you as many as we can and and facilitate that as best we can um so yeah, like I feel like the content is what needs to be there, but obviously this is a pilot, so it's it's a work in progress. And I hope that the people doing the program will help inform that as we go along, because I'm certainly not rocking up here going, I've got it cracked and uh, I know the answers because I don't, but I'd be very grateful to, to learn along with everyone else what is going to work um, and they can help that. Like, it's just about, helping people and building a network is is really the priorities here um and and just i think that we we experience so much stigma and shame in ireland that we need to open up a different perspective to people and you can get that through this because like well i'm the first irish woman you've had on talking here but maybe that'll open up to other women um and i hope it does but I understand, I understand where, where they're at. But I think that th- we've got an opportunity here in Ireland now to, to raise awareness and to, to work together and, and create a safe environment for people to come forward. And we have to do that. And I hope that this program will do this, you know, and, and I know that you are doing that. So collaboration and, you know, just listening to each other and helping helping us to move forward and find what works is what's important. And I hope that through the next six months of this program, we can make that happen and, and maybe open it up to more stuff. That sounds brilliant. And it does sound like you mentioned the word holistic earlier on, like that it needs to be the whole picture, whole life, whole person, rather than just, yeah, we'll take away this thing that's really bad for you, that you have this dysfunctional relationship with that's destroying your life. And you're good to go <laughs> just just through abstaining like that. it has to be much more than that. And then it, I suppose even if you get kind of one positive habit up and running, it tends to have a positive domino effect, this kind of virtuous cycle, the opposite of the, the vicious cycle. And that sounds like exactly what you're trying to create there. And I suppose the, the helping within the, the network of people as well, which you know that's massively important. Tony, any thoughts or questions for Claire before we finish up today? No, I suppose just to reiterate what you said earlier on about the power of the group. Um, I think the group work is really, really important. Um, but also, like I, the way I always kind of approach it is group work is so powerful. And Sister Concilio, where I do my treatment, will always talk about the power of the group. I think one-to-one kind of counseling has a space that if there is a certain element that you want to bring into a kind of a, a safe, not a safer space, but just to kind of explore on a one-to-one basis, that's the value of that as well. But the group work can be really, really important to build up that kind of feeling that I'm not alone here. I think for anyone in early recovery, gambling, that's that kind of sense you have, like I'm totally alone here because why can't I stop? And I think you made a very valid point of, of failing that recovery. I think that's the one thing I'll take from today is that thing there's no such thing as failing a recovery. Um, it's just the whole thing is that recovery is a process and that we have to keep on coming back and trying different things. And it sounds like the group will give hopefully many, many people the chance to explore different ways of of getting into recovery and more importantly, maintaining it. Claire, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on today. And I mean, again, you have hammered it home. You are the first irish woman that we've had on here 
you to the best of my knowledge you may be the only Irish woman who speaks openly about being in recovery from gambling addiction or gambling problem disorder whatever name you want to put on it uh, which puts you in a very unique position uh, and hopefully more women more men more everybody will come out and speak more openly about it so we can reduce the stigma and reduce the shame and more people can feel comfortable coming forward to get the help that they need if we can kind of minimize or reduce the, the stigma and shame around it. So if people are interested in the pilot, which will be starting around November, they can check you out on all your many, many different social media platforms. I'm really bad at social media, Barry. I really am. But look, I'm there and I can be contacted. And, you know, website is under construction, but I, I won't plug that right now. So... I think, uh, yeah, just find me or Thrive Recovery has a page as well on each of those platforms. So it, it'll be easy to find. And yeah, just message me. Brilliant. Yeah, I, certainly the program sounds really, really good. And obviously it's a pilot. And like you said, you're trying to learn, which is the great mindset to have going in. Uh, like anybody who thinks they have anything cracked scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> that always worries me when people think they have something cracked. If you're going in with a the beginner's mind or a learning mindset, you're always going to improve whatever you're doing anyway. Um, so Claire Dunnigan, CEO of Thrive Recovery, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. And best of luck. And we'll be talking to, to people in hopefully making some referrals your way for the program as well, because it sounds brilliant. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Problem Gambling Podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. 